0: His employees got worried that he didn't come into work that evening. So they went to the house, the door was unlocked. So they went in and they found him at the bottom of the stairs at the basement. They called 911. Uh, ER uh, shows up, takes him to the hospital, and it appeared at the scenes like a, an elderly man fell down the stairs yeah, and fell, hit his yeah. head.
1: Morning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain graphic descriptions of violent assaults, murder, and adult language. Listener discretion. Is advised. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast The Murder of Charlie Sowers, Part One. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast. Today, we will be discussing the 2009 murder of 71-year-old Charlie Sowers. We have with us Rob Wilson, who's been here four times before. Mm -hmm. Rob, how are you today?
2: Doing very well, thank you.
1: Thank you for coming back. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. David, how are you?
2: Good, I'm here. And thanks again for coming back. We were joking before we started. We should call this the Murder Police Rob Wilson Show since you, I think you've outranked everyone. I think
1: Rob has yeah. outranked everyone. Yeah, that's this ever is been uh, there.
2: my fifth visit. Do I get
0: like a gold jacket or you something? Do. We got should a, get yeah, a. Got yeah.
1: a pint glass there. Get, we'll top it off for you with something. I'll a take jacket. anything
2: you guys want to give me for free. We will pass there's it a right murder out? police pocket knife. Just, We don't want that to show up in a crime right. scene, or do we? Right. I mean, Maybe. it's, like, it's, it's like, some good advertisement right there. Exactly. Just if, make sure it's angled so the forensic <laughs> pictures get it in the sternum, wherever it's left. So. <laughs> But don't, all kidding aside, thanks for coming back. And this uh, is a uh, fascinating case. Yeah, you. I Thank always you. enjoy coming back and talking to you guys. Good we've
1: had you for our listeners who have maybe not listened or want to listen. We've had you on here for Alex Johnson. Very interesting case. Uh-huh. Probably breaking up there with one of my favorites. Mine too. Uh, Megan Liebengood. Uh-huh. Todd Schumacher, which we just covered not too, too long ago. And then Colt Cases with you. Yep. You're just a plethora of knowledge, Rob.
0: Well, you stay in one place that long, so you're going to come across some cases. So, yeah, I was in homicide for almost 20 years, so certainly had my share of interesting cases.
2: Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about you and your career, just to refresh people. Sure. Um, Joined the police
0: department, I guess, summer of 98. Went through the academy and then um, got assigned to West Sector, second shift. Did uh, two, three years there. Then the first chance I got to uh, interview or for the detective bureau I did was lucky enough to land in the robbery homicide unit and so fortunate to get into a unit with such top-notch people. There wasn't a better place to learn investigations in the homicide unit with that personnel.
2: And it was fun. Oh, I mean it was so much fun. Yeah, for sure. We gotta say it's fun. Either, yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't know if people would grasp it that way, but it was it I was mean, there fun. is, you know, a morbid side to it, but that
0: job has to be done. Um, but you do it long enough and you have to do it with a sense of humor or you, you will go a little crazy. Oh I'm sure. And, and
2: fortunately you made it in with just that few years on, which was a sign of how things have changed, is that Years ago, you went to the detective bureau based on seniority, which didn't yeah. always get a lot of work done, but that's a right. whole different era. Yeah, so. it
0: used to be seen upon as like almost a retirement gig. Yes, exactly. You know, you could go to burglary and just ride it out and nobody cared if you solved any cases or not. Um, homicide unit was a, a little different and we got really lucky with people like Paul Williams, James Curlis, you know, as the supervisors. Chris Schoonover, and then we get Matt Brotherton, Rob Wilson, Dave Richardson, Bill Brislin, Steve McCown, Franz Wolf, all these people that we didn't have any movement in that unit for over 10 years. Which is fantastic. Yes. And that's, uh, that's, you know, there have been talk about just for mental well-being, you only stay in homicide or sex crimes for like five years. And it's like, that's when you're really just learning the job. Yeah, you're I'll becoming proficient at it. So I understand that and appreciate, you know, people caring about our mental health and such. But uh, you're really just kind of catching your groove at that five-year mark and really becoming confident in what you're doing.
2: And I think there's worse places to work in the PD.
0: Oh, the crimes against, crimes children. against children. Amen.
2: Sh- I, I, that one is, I just, is mind-blowing, and God bless the people that, that can deal with yeah, that, so. So I Yeah. Of course, I've been
0: to several autopsies. I've only been to one child autopsy. I'll never go again. That one, that one stuck with me, and it's like I don't need to do that.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's 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 rough. Those are the ones that really go inside mm-hmm. that box and yeah, and come out on you unexpectedly. Yeah, usually. those
0: people do some uh, terrific work, and yeah, hats off to them. Yeah,
2: good people, good people. Well, this case that uh, we're going to talk about today, what stands out about it that is different than maybe some of them that we've talked about on the show before? Well, it's actually a, a
0: cold case that got solved. Amen. Uh, it. Uh, it happened in 2009, and I wound up making an arrest in October of 2020.
2: Cool. This is good because I think the show you did with this on cold cases was super educational for people. Good. There's so much misinformation in the world right now about what the police can do and mm-hmm. why they end up being parked like that and yeah, right. whatever. And I think that you cleared up a lot of the uh, well, mythology that's out there. So this will be uh, your whole thing in cold case in practice. I'm excited yeah. about it. Okay.
1: And to have it go so long without being solved, I'm sure that was a huge relief for the family to finally have some knowledge of, of who it was. The but
0: going. the um, they were cautious. I opened it up again for maybe two months and did some work on it, and saw that okay, I think it's got some legs. I think we can do this. And only at that point did I contact Mr. Sauer's uh, daughter, Sharon, and tracked her down in Richmond and and had a talk with her in her house. And she was, she was happy, but she was also, please don't do this unless you truly think you can solve it. She's like, I don't want old wounds being torn open for, for it to go unsolved again. She's like, I already did that 10 years ago. So promise me and I had to stop. Her. I was like, I never promise I'm going to be able to solve a crime. I will promise. I will give you my all and, and I'll be transparent. I'll stay in constant communication with you. There will be things that I cannot tell you about the investigation, but I will tell you everything that I can.
2: I, I think that's so important to be straight up about that. It, uh, you have to. I know of a case right now that's unsolved, and uh, the victim's family, and I don't have any reason to doubt them, but according to the family, a detective somewhere told them one day that I'll have an arrest in six months. And, uh we're well past that, mm-hmm. yeah. And and the idea being is it is stick with the idea that we're going to work hard at it because I think taking somebody on that roller coaster ride would just be awful. Yeah, it's not fair to them. What a, what a neat thing to talk about. then. Yeah. Well, um,
1: well, tell us. So you actually were primary, I guess, on this when this happened on May 27th of 2009. Did no. this initially become yours, or was it? No, it, it was originally
0: um, David Richardson and Chris Schoonover worked it. Um, I remember going out to the scene that night simply to help with a neighborhood canvas, Um, because at first, um, Mr. Sowers got found because he owns a a restaurant and a bar up uh, Bryan Station Road in the – I believe it's the Highcrest Shopping Plaza. I think it was called Thoroughbreds at the time. Um, His employees got worried that he didn't come into work that evening, so they went to the house. The door was unlocked, so they went in, and they found him at the bottom of the stairs at the basement. They called 911. Uh, ER uh, shows up, takes him to the hospital, and it appeared at the scene like a, an elderly man fell down the stairs yeah, and fell, hit his yeah. head. So we get called initially, and a patrol unit responds. They call out a detective. We're not thinking much of it. And while they were at the scene, the detective, I believe, gets a call from one of the officers at UK says, uh, The doctor says that there's multiple strikes to the head, so this isn't going to be from a single fall. And at that point, um, several detectives from the homicide unit responded. I it was Dave Richardson because he was next up on the homicide rotation. Chris Schoonover uh, was going to be his secondary. And then I think Bill Brislin, Steve McCown, and I showed up to assist with just a neighborhood canvas.
2: Gotcha. What do we know about uh, Charlie Sowers then? Quite the character. Uh, everybody we
0: talked to, um, like I say, he owned a couple of different businesses, um, and I think this is what probably got him in trouble. He liked he didn't use credit or he really had a big wad of cash on him all the time. Like to show it, you know, he'd pay beer vendors, uh, employees in cash, you know, so everybody would see what you know that he had a stack of money. Um, but again, kind of a rough and tumble guy, you know, uh, kept his bar in check. He didn't have a bouncer; he just kind of did it himself. Um, but really had a reputation as just a, a big, lovable guy that um, liked his businesses. He liked the horses and, you know, sports. and But uh, just really enjoyed being at his bar and uh, didn't find uh, many people that had anything bad to say about him other than, you know, he, he'd flash that cash and they were always afraid, especially in the business, that someone would come in, you know, and try to rob him. It wouldn't be the first time. Correct. It
2: wouldn't be the first time. Sounds like a nice. So, on guy. this
1: night, you didn't end up initially working this whole thing. So, no. I guess take us up to when you got involved.
2: Well, let me, let's go back a little bit. What do you know about what, what happened? Do you know anything about what they tried back in 2009? Did, were you close enough to them when they were working on it just to see if we have any gaps that we could? Yeah, I had a, you know, for people out there listening, the
0: homicide unit is actually a fairly small room. We had like 10 detectives at the time. So, while you're working on your cases, you're listening to other detectives talk about theirs. Like I say, I just went out there that night to assist with a neighborhood canvas, and I wasn't going to be involved in the case whatsoever. But I was hearing what Dave and Chris were doing, and it was one of those cases where you get a tip pretty soon um, of who the suspect or suspects might be. And then you start getting a couple more. And so Dave and Chris did their due diligence and was like looking into each uh, suspect as being the individual that may or may not be responsible for the death of Mr. Sauer. So um, it was really your standard case. um, Just they never got quite enough. And then these weird things happen, like Dave Richardson got promoted. There we go. And so that case then goes to Chris. Well, at that point, Chris is still working his cases as his primary, and then Chris got pulled in to cold case thereafter, and he was instructed by the department, hey, we'd like you to look into these specific cold cases. Um, So he was following orders, and then Chris retired, and with that, we didn't have the funding anymore for the cold case unit. So really, the case just sat there until Albert Johnson um, said he got approval to open up the cold case unit again, ask if I'd like to run it. And I jumped up with both hands in the air and said, absolutely. For
2: sure. Yeah, that's – and again, you know, we talked about that when you did cold case that uh, so much depends on funding. Police mm-hmm. departments are not the endless buffets of yeah. cash. Yeah. And yeah. Uh homicide units in particular are limited to begin with. It's always been that way. And unfortunately things like code case investigation you could look at as a luxury item. Yes. That if you've absolutely. got some cash left over. And and then there's the time factor. Mm-hmm. I I think what's neat is when you describe that bay or that room I think most of our listeners would probably give a hind tooth to sit in that room for a day mm. because it really is the hub of of all that activity and, and uh, just the conversations that go on. Like you said, so many things that even back in the day when I was in the unit, just overhearing one another. Mm-hmm. And then somebody would interject and say, you mean so-and-so? Mm-hmm. And it was being together like that was mission critical. So Yes. Um,
0: uh, the way it was set up, I can't tell you how many cases got solved because they were talking about. Let's see, Dave and Chris were talking about, uh, oh, we got this suspect, uh, nicknames No-No. And then Steve McCown would jump up and that, that's Nathan Richardson. There we go. You know, it's like, yeah. what? How's this? And he's like, no, I've got him on. And Rob like, but your case is better. Let's put all our efforts on that one. And if we clear that one, we'll more than likely be able to clear mine. So it really was just a team effort. And mm-hmm. just so many of those cases got solved just by you hearing something that you'd worked on a case two years before that was pertinent to them now. You know, it's, uh, it was crazy how some of those things worked out.
2: Oh, it was. Or, or somebody might have an informant that can get yep. somewhere where the other people can't yeah. and they pick up the phone. And yep. uh, that, it, was, it was just neat. I've said before that for me in my career, that was the premier team experience in mm-hmm. 28 years. Nothing got close to that after right. that. But it's truly uh, all the dynamics of what a good team are exist in that unit for a reason. And yeah. it's just amazing stuff. Yeah. And if you're not a good team member, you don't last long. Oh, Lord, no. You get yeah. run out pretty quick. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was talking to Paul Williams. We had Paul on with Billy Richmond. Oh, my gosh. I haven't listened to that one. Oh, I bet. Yeah, actually, actually, yeah I, I think we were in here quite for the party. I think we were in here for about eight hours and got 13 minutes of usable audio. Right. It, it, FCC know. listening yeah. in. It's like, no. Nope. But it's, it's funny. Me and Paul got on a phone conversation uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, talking about another case that he's going to come back for because he's so fun to talk about. Absolutely. With and he was talking about when he was the supervisor up there that when they interviewed people, that they used to add, they'd bring people in, they'd bring their little resumes, you know how it is when you're interviewing for a position. And they'd throw people off because they'd look at them and say, tell me the funniest joke you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And most people would get a deer in the headlight look because they're like.
1: You're not expecting that. No, no, interview. no. You're
2: like, can you can you look at the record management system and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Well, let me see your last five cases and everything. And uh, he would, they would tell them, don't worry about being offensive or anything in this room and what they were looking for. Was those kind of people, not that you had to be a comedian, but mm-hmm. can you relax enough yes. vulnerability, that's yeah. what we call that, to be around other people and work with them? And yeah. So it was kind of neat that that was in an interview question that you didn't see in oh, the place. We had
0: one, um, I forget the detective's name. He went on to do really good work in narcotics, um, but he interviewed for homicide, and Assistant Chief Maynard was lieutenant at the time. And he's getting ready for his interview or whatever. It was like, Lieutenant Maynard loves a good joke. It's like he, before it even starts, you need to tell him, hey, I'd like to start things off with a joke. And he's like, Are you serious? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, God, that man, you'll be heads above everybody else if you do that. And I told him the joke to tell. And I cannot say it now. <laughs> okay. um, so we're all kind of out in the bay listening. And Kelly goes in, closes the door. And uh, 45 seconds later, the door opens. Maynard leads his head out and looks at me and like,
2: that's not fair to do to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't imagine was, police doing that to one another. Yeah it, was a, uh,
0: yeah, it was a great unit. And again, everybody had a sense of humor. And do you remember Matt
2: Sharp? Yes, I do. Yeah.
0: we. Uh, I think Jared Kurtzinger, who, again, went on to become a legendary detective in his own right in narcotics. 100%. 100%. And, uh, but he was, I think we pushed him into interviewing with us. We wanted him so bad. And uh, before he went in. Sharp snuck his phone away and did something on his phone and then put it back on his desk. And so uh, Lieutenant Curlis was like, Jared, come on in. We're ready to start. So Jared goes in the room and Matt gets us all around Curlis's door and he calls Jared's number. And they're talking, and all of a sudden, you just hear
2: meow, 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 meow. meow.
0: <laughs> <I> changed his <laughs> ringtone.
2: <laughs> I love it.
0: And of course, <laughs> Carlos with one of the best senses of humor ever, you could just hear him laughing. Say, oh, yeah. Jared, it's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: That's the stuff you miss when you retire. Absolutely. Is that, is that it? Uh, it was a car. It was a comedy caravan for the most part when you were yeah. up there, and that's how you handled the nasty. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You had to laugh about everything you could laugh about because you, that's how you. That's how you just put everything where could where you could work. Yeah,
0: I've heard a lot of people, like athletes, when they retire, it's like, what do you miss most? And they're like, the
2: locker room. That's it. Yeah, for sure. And that's pretty much what that is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Brad Ingram came
0: up with something. When he was a lieutenant over homicide, somebody came in like a commander and was like, hi. This is a rough room. They're really tearing up on each other. What this can't be good for morale. He's like they are verbal sparring. Yes. He goes, whether they know it or not, they're preparing to go on the stand to be cross-examined. That's you true. have to be able to learn to think on your feet and defend yourself, you know, and if you can't do it here, it's going to be real tough in a courtroom. Yeah. So
2: I, I thought that was an interesting take on it. Well, I had a, when I was in the unit, we had a new sergeant come in and they watched for a couple of weeks and brought us in the office one at a time and I think I remember a box of tissue on a desk. And it was, a, it was almost a, a come to Jesus of, uh, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. Why? Well, are you okay? Are you really okay? Yeah. And they had watched that. And they were like, and finally he said, it's just that everybody's really rough on each other. And it looks like you're treated. Each other. And I said, that's love. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you haven't seen that. Before, yeah. But it was from the outside, you know, we always, it's like, you know, this too, you go out and you get called out at three in the morning and you, you haven't been to sleep for three days. Yeah. And the last one that walks in that bay. Gets beat up like a, like yeah. a circus monkey. Yeah, I mean, you it, lazy easy. ass. Oh, yeah. exactly. Of course, we always picked on people
0: like Billy Richmond. Sure. It was, well, it was easy. Yeah, um, the the slow antelope on the Serengeti. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: you know, anybody, that, you know, when when a sixth grade is the three hardest years of your life. Yes, I mean, that's absolutely. that's Billy. So
1: it's like. Billy will get you a little buddy. Oh, yeah, he
2: will for sure. Well, let's, we're, we're, we've jumped off the track. But I think that's one thing the listeners uh, get interested in is what's it really like? Yeah compared to the BS that's on T V in the movies and stuff right. like that. That that uh, it is a t it's a huge team thing. There's no room for ego in that and these cases would never get laid down if if people had an ego involved in that. So yeah. getting back to it. So we I think you brought us up to speed on what, what they what the initial work was, which I've that well, no I do was I do wanna ask. Yeah. So this
1: poor family, they went just more than ten years hoping, yeah. waiting, waiting and nothing.
0: Correct. Um Dave and Chris worked it really hard for six months. And then, you know, there's only so much you can do. Thank you. Um, and if Franz Wolf had this problem on his first couple of murders, you know, he's like, Rob, am I missing anything? It's like, buddy, you're not. Yeah. It's like I- I've been with you every step of the way. He was brand new. I was like, there's not anything you haven't done that I could pick up and say, Oh, you haven't tried this. It's like sometimes you have to put it on the shelf for just a bit. And just kind of maybe pull it down in a month and look at it again with fresh eyes. It's like sometimes Franz, it just takes the phone to ring. You'll get a call one day
2: and it will unravel so fast you won't believe it. That's important again for victims' families to know. Yeah, because another one of the things that's out there in the in the mythology is nobody's working on the case now. Right. You could now. Let's be honest. You could have a detective somewhere that's that's a lazy, sure sloth. They I exist. Mean, yeah, they exist. They're outliers. You could have that. But the idea is, is that at some point they do get to a, a place for in the moment they're, they're terminated based on the fact that nothing's new. Yeah. And that's with everything. Yeah. Working on it doesn't mean going back and redoing everything unless there's a reason to redo it or if it's right. going to because you have other cases. That's it. Yeah. You know, and before a situation like that, if
0: I worked one for three, four months and just like, I'm at the end of the road. I would call the unit in and give them a, a complete rundown of the case, what I've done, and ask if there's anything more to do. And surely there will always be an idea or a two. But when you get to that point where you've got ten experienced investigators, go, yeah, I can't think of anything right yeah. now,
2: and you're and you're back to the phone ringing. Yes, or yeah. somebody coming into headquarters. Yeah, I mean, how many times has that happened? Where. It just happens Yeah. uh, where the phone rings or you get a message or you get a phone call to go down and meet somebody at the front counter. Yeah. And uh, we've all had that. And all of a sudden they hand you a case, which is a miraculous thing. Yeah.
0: Well, that's exactly what happened to Franz on that case. It went unsolved for eight months and he got a phone call one day, I think at noon, and he had the guy in custody by five o'clock that afternoon. Sometimes it just happens that quick and all you need. Um, James Curlis always says, it's "Like it's un, it's tough to rip up a sweater, but if you can find a loose end, all it takes is and pulling it, thread. and the whole thing comes apart." Yeah, and Oops, that's
2: exactly yeah. the way it is. I've talked to Franz at Brad Ingram's retirement party. We're going to try to get Franz on. He, he'd be fantastic. He on he's, it. he's like a little cherub. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like in a church or something. He's just a neat guy. Neat yeah, guy. great storyteller. Yeah, big time. Well, let's, so uh, so we, back to this. Yeah.
1: So in between. I know this murder happened in May of 2009. You made an arrest in October of 2020. So at what point did this start unraveling for you that you thought, I've got something? How did that happen?
0: Well, really, it was a a call from Dave Richardson, the original detective. Uh, And he's like, hey, I heard they open up cold case. Um, He's like, I really think Charlie Sowers is solvable. He's like, do me a favor and pick it up and look at it read through it a couple of times, and uh, Dave did great work. You know, sometimes you just, so at that point, it had been 10 years. So I'm like, let's start re-interviewing some of the people that Dave interviewed because it's been 10 years and we believe suspect, new victim and all this stuff and several friends. So maybe somebody broke up with their girlfriend and now they're ready to talk, stuff like that. So just really wound up re-interviewing people and one interview with, tanya joiner i talked to her and she's like yeah talked to tony mcqueen and she said that she was with um
1: hey you know there's more to the story so go download the next episode like the true crime fan that you are
2: the murder police podcast is hosted by wendy and david lyons and was created to honor the lives of crime victims so their names are never forgotten it is produced recorded and edited by david lyons The Murder Police Podcast can be found on your favorite Apple or Android podcast platform, as well as at MurderPolicePodcast.com, where you will find show notes, transcripts, information about our presenters, and a link to the official Murder Police Podcast merch store, where you can purchase a huge variety of Murder Police Podcast swag. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which is closed captioned for those that are hearing impaired. Just search for the Murder Police Podcast and you will find us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for more and give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Make sure you set your player to automatically download new episodes so you get the new ones as soon as they drop. And please tell your friends. Lock it down, Judy.